Welcome to Mentally Speaking. Today's topic is eating disorders. And we have somebody here today that's going to help us better understand what it's like and what her coping skills are and what she can um, say about, um, you know, what can help other people with um, eating disorders. So welcome, Julia. It's good Hi, to see you. I'm so happy to be here. Hi, thank you for doing this. So, um, so tell me, was there a... Um, was there like a trigger in your life when you were younger that you think that caused your symptoms? What, how did that come about? Yeah, absolutely. You know, thinking about it, I think that I, because I've had almost every form of eating disorder at different times in my life, I think that certain triggers were set off by certain events. But in terms of just like the onset of you know, a dysfunctional or a disordered relationship with food, it absolutely traces back to um, specific childhood events. So, um, you know, I do want to include a bit of a trigger warning here because I'm going to just speak briefly about my childhood abuse. Um, hopefully that's okay to share. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, unfortunately, I, I grew up in a household where I was sexually abused from a very young age. And I do find that this is not uncommon for people with eating disorders. It's it's a relatively common um, thing that I see for a lot of eating disorder survivors. Uh, obviously, it's a terrorizing situation and you feel extremely out of control of your body and your reality. Also, you know, I, I didn't receive comfort where I needed it. I didn't receive, you know, closeness and nurturing from my mother. She was very mentally ill herself. And so I just remember um, you know, when, I mean, the first piece of it was probably overeating. So I remember actually taking food into bed with me to tuck myself in at night. I would hide it under the covers and I would eat to soothe myself to fall asleep, right? And I just have so much compassion for that now at this point in my life, that little girl who felt the need to do that. And then I also remember the first time that I threw up my food, um, I was actually only eight. So, and it's a pretty clear memory. At that point in time, my dad um, was in the hospital. He had a brain tumor. And it was around that time actually that the abuse stopped, which is interesting that that's when the behavior sort of escalated, right? But I just remember this very clear moment of, I don't even know where I, I found the idea to do it, but um, just, you know, looking at myself in the mirror and I remember the little dress I was wearing and pulling up my dress and like looking at my stomach and just saying like, you know, if I, if I could just get this flatter, if I could just be skinnier, like somehow everything would be okay. Everything would be better. I think it was really scary for me to have my dad in the hospital and I had a lot of confusing things, you know, <laughs> about that coming up for me, different different mixed feelings, right? Because I was scared for his life, but also I was safe in a way that I usually wasn't. So it was just, you know, to to cope with the all of the out of control emotions and just, you know, everything that was there that I couldn't process, that I couldn't talk about, that there was no resolution for, right? It it it, it gave me something that I couldn't get anywhere else. Yeah. That so so what were your other symptoms that you had? Um, you know, you talked about, you know, the throwing up and did you limit your food or was it more um, overeating at first and then and then purging and 
Well, it was, it was all over the map kind of, like I said, so, you know, at, it started with overeating and then I purged, but not, um, not super frequently in the beginning. It was just kind of this thing that I did sort of here and there into my school age and young teens. And then when I was about 16, um, I went really deep into a rabbit hole of anorexia and restriction. So I, you know, I, I went really deep into that. And for, I would say probably a solid five years, that was my primary, you know, symptom, maybe my only, I wasn't throwing up. I wasn't overeating. It was, it was just restriction. And then ironically, after I went into treatment for the first time and came back out, that's when I started a really intense cycle of binging and purging. Wow. Interesting. So how old were you when you were first diagnosed and sought treatment? Well, I was, I was probably 16 or 17, maybe 16. The first time I like went to the doctor and it was like my pediatrician and I went with my mom and, and she diagnosed me with anorexia nervosa. Um, and then I, I, I went to therapy, you know, so first I really just kind of did one-on-one -on -one therapy for a few years um, without seeing very much result from that. Um, and I went into inpatient treatment for the first time when I was 20. I turned 21 in treatment. And how long were you in treatment when you were inpatient? Yeah, so I, I was in the first facility for about 30 days. And then my insurance pulled me from that place that I needed a higher level of care. So I went to another place for over 30 days, um, maybe, maybe closer to 60 days. And then I came back out and I did, um, outpatient stuff and everything. I went back in for another 30 days when I was maybe 22. Uh, and then finally went in for 60 days when I was 25, but in between there, I did a lot of, um, outpatient stuff, you know, different programs, different therapists, saw nutritionists, that sort of thing. So how did that affect your self-esteem? Oh my gosh. I'm like, how much time do you have? Because this is such a deep topic, I think, <laughs> you know, there's so much to say about this. I think that honestly, you know, this was like 15 years ago when I first went into treatment. So I know that there have been some advances since then. And I think that it really matters where you go also. Um, you know, like one of the facilities I, I went into was a psych facility where there were only like two eating disorder patients and the rest were, you know, experiencing um, completely different type of symptoms and, you know, psychosis and things like that. And, um, you know, is it just a very different type of facility it felt like a hospital, right? And, and very much felt like I was being given the message of like, you're sick. And I did get that message a lot. And that's the piece of treatment that I really didn't love. I, I didn't feel a sense of honoring a lot of the time of my humanity and my strength and my power and my intelligence. It was a lot of, you need to listen to us or you're gonna die. And it wasn't a lot of like, we're gonna listen to you, you know? <laughs> Which I understand when someone is in a really like a life-threatening situation, you know, I get that. I really do. Um, but at the same time, when you are 
immersed in that environment for a long period of time. And when you're being given these messages about yourself and your condition, and when you, for example, I, I mean, I left college, I was a straight A student. I left college when I was 20, you know, midway through my junior year, straight A's, like all of that. And I didn't get to finish. And it was like, you know, I, I felt like a failure. I felt like there was something really broken about me, something really wrong with me, that this was happening to me. Um, I felt like my, I, I, yeah, I wasn't as good as my peers. I was somehow, you know, really, yeah, broken and, you know, was kind of always, there was also this sense of kind of like, you're always going to be doomed to like, have this stamp on you. Like you're, you know, you're, this is, this is who you are kind of a thing. I think I really identified with that and really kind of took it on as like, this is who I am versus this is a thing that I'm struggling with that I'm getting help with. And how much of that was how the treatment was um, facilitated versus what I just internalized from the experience, maybe due to my own past or whatever, my own filters, I, I can't really tell you. What I can tell you is that after I got clean and sober when I was 23, the final time that I went into eating disorder treatment when I was 25 and actually turned 26 in that facility um, was a totally different experience. It felt like I was this whole person that just was having this issue. <laughs> it was like, and it was very self-loving for me to address it and to receive help. So again, I think it really matters the, the mindset that you're in going into things, whether or not you're choosing it of your own free will. Like I fully cho chose to go in. I was fully ready, you know, to, to really participate and also like how people are talking to you and how people are, are treating you as a, as a survivor. Right. So it's more of this is what I have versus this is what I am. Yes. 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 Yeah. That's, that's a huge difference. Yes. Mm -hmm. So and that can be tough when you don't know who you are outside of it. Right. Cause yeah. it's like, that's, that's what you fill your time with. That's what you think about all the time. That's, you know, it becomes like an identity. So that was a big part of the healing process too for me was to shift out of that identity, get to the place where I knew it wasn't who I was. Right. And so now are there stressors in your life that may cause like a setback? Um, how long have you been abstinent? I guess the question would be, um, yeah. you know, if not, participating in, you know, those, you know, not having those symptoms, basically. Yeah, you know, I think this is such an important question, because unlike with my sobriety with drugs and alcohol, it has not been a completely straight path with my, you know, my, my relationship with food and in recovery, like, where it's just been like, yes, I have, you know, these 10 years where there hasn't been any kind of a slip up, you know, there have been slip ups. One big trigger that I've noticed for me is anytime that I move, anytime my environment feels destabilized, anytime I feel unsafe and out of control in any way, like it just feels overwhelming. I'm feeling uprooted. I'm feeling, especially in my home environment, if that's feeling really shaky and I become really dysregulated as a result of that, that I know that that is a thing that my brain knows to go to, to get me a sensation of, I feel in control now and I feel relief now. And so that, that has happened for me in um, occurrences where I've moved 
Also, I'm, I've really explored the link between those symptoms and my relationships. Um, in fact, I actually wrote my master's thesis on like the link between um, personal boundaries and relationships and symptom reduction amongst adult women with bulimia. Because what I found was that when I was in in a relationship where I was consistent, and, and this is a, a relationship of any kind, not just a love ro relationship or a romantic partnership, like friendships, colleagues, coworkers, whoever, family. If I was feeling unheard, if I was feeling gaslit, if I was feeling silenced, you know, um, unseen, misperceived, not considered, if I felt like I couldn't speak up, that's always been a, a trigger for me. Gaslighting is a huge one. That's probably my biggest trigger, especially for bulimia. Right. So what are the, is there anything that you can share with other people who struggle? Um, anything that you think might help them um, when they're struggling? Oh my gosh. Oh. Like what are your coping skills? Okay, coping skills. <laughs> okay. I was gonna go a different, different kind of path with that um, because it just it just touches my heart so much. Because I, I think actually I am gonna say this really quickly. Like I, I want you to know if you are struggling. Like number one, you're not alone. There are millions and millions of people who have the same thoughts and feelings and behaviors that you do, and also feel like they're never gonna get out of it. Number two just because it feels like there's no way out now doesn't mean that there's no way out. And the only people who never recover are the people who stop trying. Somebody told me that really early on and it stuck with me. The only people, because I fell on my ass, you know, Coventina, like I, I, I really, I did many times. I got some, you know, relief from symptoms and then it flared back up again. And I, you know, tried this and then it flared back up. It, it's not been a straight path, um, but if you keep going, if you just keep showing up, you know, it will get better. So that's the first thing. Um, but I really feel like, I mean, first of all, find a one-on-one -on -one therapist that you really like trust, that's safe for you to share, to really dive into those deeper layers. Um, of course, addressing the food and the nutrition and all of that and having a, a care team for that but really the deeper emotional layers um having a safe person and or people uh that's the you know a, a great place to start and and then just um my relationships in my life today i'm extremely selective about who i allow to be really close to me and to be yeah, to be a close person, they have to be safe for me emotionally, you know, and people that I can talk to that I can express my emotions with, that I can fully be me and really be authentic. So like, if I'm really struggling, I mean, I go to my partner or before him, you know, and, and even sometimes now calling a friend who I know gets it. And just being able to fully express where I'm at and, and not feeling judged, not feeling shut down, not feeling shamed or like somebody's trying to fix me, just having presence for what I'm going through. I found that often that is like at least 50% of the battle. It's just not being alone with things. I'm because there's so much secrecy too. 
there's so much shame and there's so much hiding and it's like this secret little world and we just hold all of that, you know? And then we just walk around in the world like it's not happening. That's just pain on top of pain, on top of pain. So finding safe people to disclose to is always gonna be like my number one, you know? Because I, I can't, I can't function in the in the hiding. And when I say safe, I mean somebody that's not going to tell me like there's something wrong with me and I need to fix it and you know, give me crap about it. I mean somebody that's just going to be present and listen and be very unconditional and loving with me. That's so much of of what the healing has been about for me. But also self-expression in general and emotional expression and that can be creative expression. I remember in that last treatment facility I was, uh, I was mentioning, I did so much artwork and I really learned how to, you know, translate what I was feeling and everything uncomfortable inside and all of the voices and all of that into form to find a voice for it, you know, because when we don't have a voice for what's there, that's when we're, we're going to try to express things in unhelpful ways, you know, because it, it needs an outlet it needs an outlet, right? And I found this to be particularly true for people with bulimia, is that there, there needs to be this element of expression and it needs to happen often, whether that's writing, dancing, drawing, painting, I would play the guitar and sing, talking, of course. Um, those are my principal coping skills. Um, but I also do practice meditation. I practice yoga every day. I have a solid morning routine. Um, I'm intentional with, you know, with my meals and my food. I always make sure that I have what I need with me, uh, that sort of thing. Hopefully that answers your question. Yes. Um, and what have you learned about yourself through your recovery process? What have you discovered the most, the most important thing that you have learned that will keep you going, basically? Yeah, yeah. Um, my power and my voice, that my voice is important, that how I, I feel matters, that I feel big, but that that's a beautiful thing and that I have a lot to say, you know, and, um, and also, of course, like that I am worthy and deserving of love. All of, all of the pieces of me, all of the parts and pieces of me are worthy and deserving of, of love and expression. Whether people think, or I think on some days, that they're ugly or beautiful. They're all powerful, they're all important, and they all get to come forward. And also, I was not put on this earth to take care of other people's needs solely. <laughs> you know, that's a big thing. It's okay for me to receive. It's okay for me to have boundaries. In fact, it serves everyone around me for me to do so. It serves everyone around me and the planet at large when I take care of myself, when I take excellent, beautiful, loving care of myself. Those are really the key lessons that I've grounded in in my recovery. And they're so valuable, Coventina. I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, like, I'm just so grateful that I suffered for literally decades with this and was in and out of hospitals and stuff because, you know, there's a part of me that feels that way. But also, I don't want anybody to go through that. It's freaking horrible. It's, it's it, living with an eating disorder can be a type of hell that you just don't know unless you've experienced it. It can be so all consuming and devastating. I don't want anyone to go through that. And at the same time, 
I can see that I, I wouldn't have discovered my authentic power if it weren't for those experiences, the things that I've learned and the, the wisdom that I have um, and the capacity that I have to help other beings now because of that is truly tremendous. And that part I'm grateful for. Awesome. Any last thoughts that you would like to share? Uh, just there's nothing wrong with you and keep going. There's nothing wrong with you. You might have, you know, I've got type one diabetes too, right? And having an eating disorder isn't any more my fault than having type one diabetes is, you know? That's really how I feel about eating disorders. You know, it's, it's, it's not something that we need to continue to carry shame around. And once again, it's not who you are. It's a thing that you're carrying because there's something that you're meant to learn from it, meant to transmute from it, your body and the eating disorder itself has wisdom for you. So just keep going. Please Thank you go. so much, Julia, for um, spending time with us and sharing your story. And, you know, we hope that this will help other people. Um, definitely. Um, yeah, you've helped me a lot to understand. Um, and so thank you so much.